Hello, you're listening to the Stress Sessions podcast with me, Luke. Thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of series 2. I'm sitting here recording this intro on Sunday evening. It's actually been a pretty decent weekend. My football team won for once. I'm not going to say who I support for the fear of losing listeners, but it was a really good win. I also reached a milestone on Instagram of 10,000 followers. So thanks to everyone who liked, shared and commented on any of my content. It takes quite a bit of time creating organic stuff, so it's nice to know and you, yes you, like it. The past couple of weeks have been a bit tough for me to be honest, but I feel like I'm starting to come out the other side. I've started running every day and I'm now 14 days into running at least 5 kilometers every day for a month. And yes, it is pretty tough, but it's really needed as it properly clears my head and I can literally just concentrate on running. Getting outside is really good for you. I don't need to tell you that, but whether you're going for a walk or a run, going out and getting fresher at least once a day really does help with your mental health. Right, so who's on the podcast this week? Well, I'm speaking to an award-winning public figure, Joe Plum, who at the age of just 13 set up the Speak Up, Speak Out campaign with support from James Arthur, Sunita Malone and Richard Branson and has gone on to win the Princess Diana Award and featured in ITV's Britain's Get Talking campaign. He's a really inspirational and lovely guy. So, here's the Stress Sessions with Joe Plum. Thank you yourself. Good, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. How are you? How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, busy as always. For the people listening that might not know so much about you, can you just kind of do a quick overview of yourself and kind of what you do? So uh, I've struggled uh, all my life with poor mental health, um, and I was bullied all throughout school, um, which really had a detrimental impact on me and my mental health at the time. Uh, being autistic uh, from a young age, my peers picked up the subtle differences. Um, it was put down as being like badly behaved child, um, but I, I, I was very different. And there wasn't awareness of really mental health or autism when I was in school. But when I was 13, um, I started my anti-bullying campaign um, which was Stand Up Speak Out, which went global with the likes of Sunita, James Arthur, Richard Branson. It went mad. Uh, I won the, uh, got uh, awarded in the, the Diana Award for my work. And uh, from the age of 12 as well, I volunteered. I started volunteering in a youth cafe for my own social skills because it was something I struggled with, the autism, was, um, the social anxiety. And from there, I, I got more opportunities. I went on to volunteer and work with the um, National Council of Voluntary Services, where that led into more opportunities. I did some stuff with the BBC, um, got into doing some radio stuff. And then that grew. I was in a psychiatric unit when I was it was 16 and I was in and out for the majority of three years 
which was a it was a tough period, but I kind of found like a safe space in a psychiatric unit because being young, I didn't I could just be myself, and other people in there were we were all in there for the same reasons. I tried to end my life a lot. There were many suicide attempts. So I got very close, uh, overdosing and type 1 diabetic. I used my insulin to, to just try and end it all because that was the only way out mm. that I could see. I got 136 put in a section by the police as well. I was on, on a motorway. I tried to jump in front of a car, which was um, an unmarked police car, luckily. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, life was very difficult uh, because of my struggles. And, you know, I put my family through a lot, not meaning to, but from the suicide attempts, you know, it, it was very difficult for them. Uh, so I was put into the care system where, you know, that has its challenges too. It wasn't very nice. It was very isolating. Some of the homes weren't great, but that led me to be quite independent and I carried on the work for the campaign and stuff uh, while I was going through that because I think it's really important for people with their own personal experiences to talk and to help people. It's, don't get me wrong, therapists and counsellors are great, but they're trained. They haven't necessarily had that life experience. I think that's really, really key to helping people with any form of mental illness who have been bullied and to achieve uh, helping them realize they're not alone and to get them to a goal where they can live a happy and meaningful life which is difficult but we've just all got to be there you know every day you're going to have struggles it's not always going to be great in life and i think it's just to be real and say that that instead of sugarcoating it you know you're going to have bad days it's how you learn to live with those and it makes it easier so uh i've kind of carried my work on um uh, i'm a i run a charity uh, alongside other um people for uh, the care system to help and support children in care and care leavers and give more resources and tools and the safeguarding officer our, our mental health trained so I use my experiences. I don't get paid for anything I do. So everything, all my work, uh, be heard, which was stand up, speak out, but that kind of stops. So it's just now me. Um, cause I think that's important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so people can message me. Uh, I, I safeguard people appropriately. You know, uh, we, everything's confidential to a point, but, if someone's in immediate risk or danger, then that has to be passed on to protect them. So I, I do that. I'm a Kidscape charity ambassador. So in June, I got made an ambassador for the uh, Kidscape charity who um, keep children and young people safe from uh, bullying and harm and give parents and carers um, support and tools they need to help children and young people as well as schools as well. Uh, I work with the Home Office to create a tool uh, for people with autism to kind of communicate what they were going through if they were being bullied as well, because there's troubles communicating depending on how far up the spectrum you are. So it's really important that we have those tools to help those with additional needs. Mm. So I, I've done a fair bit. I was part of ITV's Britain's Get Talking. Uh, I was in the Extra Factor Live. Uh, I've done some adverts, some acting. Uh, I've 
one thing's led into another. So I've got, I, I went, it's quite surreal for me still. I have moments. I've gone from that kid that no one wanted to know. I had no friends to all of a sudden, you know, my Facebook page this week, uh, 2.8 million people have engaged with it, which is mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it is key and it's led to so many other experiences which have been good for me. But uh, the goal is just to kind of promote the kindness, make sure no one feels alone because that was a killer for me and that's a killer for many. Suicide rates are on the increase. I've had friends that have sadly committed suicide. I've been witness to people that have unfortunately ended their lives. Their lives. Um, so it's it's key that people know they're not alone, even if that's just messaging me or whatever, there's always someone to turn to. So to try and stop how I felt and the reasons for me trying to end my life. So just in summary, there's, <laughs> there's a bit about me. You've, I mean, you've been through a lot and I think that it's, it's, it's admirable that you've come out the other side and you, you're doing what you're doing. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's really amazing. And you probably hear that every day, but it is, <laughs> it is, it's, it's a great thing. How do you keep level headed in terms of your mental health by not kind of like worrying about one thing or worrying, worrying that you're not, you're doing too much? Uh, honestly, I think my girlfriend's probably the, uh, the magic tool for this. She keeps me very level headed. Um, and she'll she'll stop me if I'm running at 100 miles an hour uh but it's it's you know I take that time out whereas I didn't before but self-care is really important so I the great thing about technology now is you know with the iPhones you've got that screen on time so I've got that setting where it won't allow me to kind of go past a certain time during the day and that period is my time my self-care time my time with my girlfriend my little one and it, it's just trying to keep organized uh which don't get I, i'm not a very organized person um uh the use of calendars and technology helps out a lot and my girlfriend just kind of organizes my day and if stuff comes up and it's right now you've got this and so work it around that and uh i mean my weekday job as well you know i have to because that's how i fund everything so uh have to work it around that so it's all structure and routine to be honest i think having that job keeps me grounded stops me from doing loads but gives me that time for myself as well when i come back from work then um that's that's my time but you know <laughs> it's learning to say no as well i was awful at that um i still am to a certain extent but you can say no that's an important an important life lesson you're not letting anyone down if it's not good for you doesn't work for you and it's going to put stress on you just say no and rearrange it for another time if possible but yeah i mean it does some things do get me down you know if there's uh there's calls or messages and you go and you have to safeguard someone you forward the details on you don't always hear back about what's happened to that person there's a lot of times where I do think, you know, that person's been in a really bad state. I hope they survived. If they didn't, you know, you put a little bit of self-blame on yourself, although you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But and then I think back to nurses and doctors, you know, how many people do nurses and doctors treat? But they don't hear 
what's happened to them in the end. Oh, it's just treat, treating that person and having to deal with the next situation that comes their way. So, you know, it, it, there's there's challenges along the way, but it's it's just about organising yourself, really. And like I said, learning to say no and taking time for yourself is really important. Yeah, I've, I, mean, I mean, that's that's great to hear that you do that because people that have so much going on, I always just think they can't, they must just never switch off. Yeah, if you can't help yourself, you can't help others, you know, and try not to burn yourself out um, because that's that's a killer as well, you know, and that's made me quite ill in the past. You know, I've been hospitalised because I've run so fast, doing so many things, haven't looked after myself, and all of a sudden I've just... Uh, I've been very unwell because of it, so... It's important if you want to help other people, you've got to help yourself. And social media is great as well because you can schedule everything. You know, I take uh, one day a week where I try and schedule as many posts as I can just to kind of alleviate that pressure and give more time for myself. I always monitor my social media and inboxes, but just any way you can kind of cut that pressure off of you and keep everything organised and do it you've, you've already spoken about winning the princess diana awards how did you do it and kind of like what how, how does it feel to have kind of like done such great things and to have, have won those awards because yeah it's incredible uh, i could have taken the two paths uh, which is just go down a road where i just didn't care We'll go down the other one where I just wanted to make a difference. I think in the different experiences that I've been through, I've seen things that are wrong with the services. Uh, the things that happened to me wasn't right and it wasn't spoken about. And I just felt, like I said, I, I was just so alone. Uh, I, I watched, I used to watch videos, uh, uh, one that in one in particular, you know, Pink, uh, great singer-songwriter and I looked at a speech that she did you know about just being different how her label wanted her to change because she had pink hair she was very different to what the label wanted because they thought she wouldn't sell any records a bit like Ed Sheeran as well mm-hmm. um you know he was he, he declined a record label because they wanted him to dye his hair because apparently uh, ginger people could never sell any records which is proven to be very yeah. wrong <laughs> um so it's stuff like that really um martin luther king i've always seen him as like a massive inspiration and i i've always watched his very real films as a child and i've related to them because of my experiences and i've just always wanted to make change positive change and make a difference and that has to always start somewhere. But it was also longing for my voice to be heard mm. from so many years of just having no friends, being so isolated, and no one even wanted to know me and no one knowing me. It was it was very tough. So I, I think from the volunteering, you know, when I started off doing that, that was really my first experience. And there were young people from all different backgrounds, people older than me, people younger than me. But again, just seeing the problems in the system and people's struggles. And 
the more opportunities I got from there, I think the more it spurred me on. Um, and I, I just kept going at it really. And then it came quite addictive in just wanting to make change all the time, different ideas popping into my head. You know, how do I go ahead and do that? Social media became a massive part in it, you know, just promoting everything. I learned how to use it in a really good way. And it just all blossomed from there. But I think it's, I'm not too sure why I went down the path I did or why I, I started doing all of this. Uh, well, I know why, I, I, I don't know how I really got this far and I was lucky enough to get the opportunities I did but it's it's crucial you know one person all it takes is one person to stand up and make change and if you can kind of inspire other people to stand with you and get more people standing up next to you you can make such a big difference mm -hmm. and I, I just really want to help people and I just want to make sure that we raise awareness of the cracks in the system we improve things and no there are simple things we can all do even if the system fails people that they're alone or whatever you know it's just being there for each other be kind it's so simple and it's it's just not it's not a difficult thing what does the what does the future of joe hold i'd ooh, i've always wanted to start um, I want to start my own charity. I've kind of envisaged it as like 999. If we can start an emergency service purely for mental health, so you call 999 and instead of going to the ambulance, the police, the fire service, if we can have like a mental health ambulance service, just stuff purely for that, uh, take the pressure off the system uh, at the NHS, you know, because there's such a broad horizon that all of the services deal with, but it seems to be now they're all dealing with parts that they shouldn't necessarily be dealing with. It's not in that. So I've always wanted to start something like that off. Um, but I, I'm still thinking of how I'd go about doing that. I mean, that'd be a lot of government talks and, and whatnot. But also I'd like my own TV or maybe radio platform where instead of, Focusing on negative, I think, like just kindness news. Like if you had a, a radio show like once a week or a TV show once a week that focused on mental health, that got people talking and focused on like acts of kindness, just to kind of reinstate people's faith in society and, and make the world seem a bit more positive when at times it can seem very just all doom and gloom because that's what a lot of the news outlets only focus on we put the news on all we really hear about is the negatives we don't hear about all these good news stories or good things happening around the world so if, if that's something i could do and i think that's doable um you know i've made lots of connections throughout this period um throughout the pandemic and um i see that as a as a good goal but still doing what I do really and um hopefully on on a bigger scale I really like the 999 idea because I I think I think that is needed and I think that it's needed now more than it's ever been because yeah. it's 
I mean, just just looking at the the suicide rates throughout the past sort of nine to twelve months is is it's horrible. It's really really horrible. Sure. And it's the the amount of people like we like we spoke about earlier. The amount of people that are going to have suffered from a mental health problem throughout throughout the pandemic is is going to be huge compared to what it's been in 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 years gone past and i think that it's i think that this well if it doesn't it's it's ridiculous but i think this should push the the powers that be to to do something about the the kind of mental health of the uk or 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 even wider because it needs to happen (laughs) there's 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 so many people that 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 are suffering and aren't speaking about it because because what i've I've, i found some of them just by doing this little podcast and uh, yeah i think that something like that would be amazing because just for example put put yourself into a position of you're just you're just about to take your own life and you're you're standing on the bridge you're just about to jump and you see you see somebody you're on the motorway or whatever driving you see somebody standing there just about to jump you can dial nine, 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 the, the new 999 and you could literally save a life just like that exactly and it's you know the the pressures on the services are so great anyone that's at that point of ending their life um or like you said anyone on top of the bridge it's it's not the fault of ambulance staff police staff the services are just so strict and they're underfunded which is something the government need to put more funding into but um i don't like getting into politics obviously the uh public spending hasn't <laughs> gone too when well. there's been uh, money wasted on certain things but i hope it puts a, a new focus on the importance of it i fear the the fallout from this uh the mental health fallout is going to be far greater than the pandemic itself suicide rates year on year have just been increasing tenfold especially in men because there's still that stigma around you know you just man up which is a term that i really hate what does that even mean (laughs) and you can't talk about your emotions because you're a man because that's not what men do it's a load of rubbish and the the latest uh figures that came out were you know particularly men in their 40s uh, and 40s to 50s uh, taking their own life because of pressures not talking about it uh, and I think there's a lot of people that have unfortunately lost their jobs uh, financially this is going to affect so many people and the fallout and the risk this is going to put to other people's lives is so huge so we need a service which is purely for mental health and with people that understand it that have a background as well if you could get people that have come through all different experiences working in whatever the new non-online service would be um just having that empathy and that real um relatable quality about what that person's going through uh it, it, it would just i think it could save a lot of lives um but for the interim there needs to be more funding put in the service mm-hmm. uh services and i hope i mean i i don't hold much hope but i hope 
that's a priority. It, it definitely needs needs to happen because we're going to really see the true impact on this on people's mental health now. The impact of the pandemic is the is the real thing, and it's the knock on effect is going to be years and years and years. It's not going to just be oh, a couple of months. Oh, I think it's back to normal. It's going to take a long, long time for stuff to be normal again. <laughs> yeah. Is. Um. But yeah, I I mean yeah I I I hope in years to come I'll see that you've launched a new nine 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 service because that'd be amazing. I'd love that. I'd be like, great. I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He, he told me about this 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast 999. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. That's such a good idea. Wicked, wouldn't it? Yeah. When you were younger, you, you were admitted into a psychiatric ward. And I think you, you said you were 16, weren't you, I think? Yeah. But how did that feel to you to be going into that situation? At kind of like in in a, in a time where your hormones are going crazy because you're a teenager. You, you, you kind of like feel like you're finding out about the world and it's it, being a teenager in itself is, is, is difficult. So going, going through that experience that you've been through, how, how was that? And kind of, how did you, how did you come out the other side of, of being the guy that you are now? Cause yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, I- I felt like I'd failed at first, like a uh, personal failure. And I didn't see a way out. And I remember the meeting with my psychiatrist um, sitting in cams. I was in tears and I was, I was crying out for help because I kept getting different people come in and go in. For it. So there was no continuity. Um, and it got really, really bad. Um, you know, I just finally finished my GCSEs and I think it all just hit me suddenly. Um, school finished and there was like flashbacks and things that had happened and it, it, it was horrible. And then I was sitting in, sitting in the hospital after an overdose and uh, I thought I'd be put locally somewhere but I was sent up to a unit in Sheffield Um, and at the time I lived in Northamptonshire so it was it was a long way and it was a long way away from my family as well you know it was not like I could pick up the phone we weren't allowed phones or whatever and I remember we arrived and I walked in through the doors and I had to stand there with my arms out legs spread proper pat down searches and through an airlock door shuts I couldn't get out and the feeling of not being able to get out not being able to escape it was it was terrifying and it was noisy there were bells going off uh, the alarms because of people kicking off and people struggling It, it was it was very very scary um the unit itself wasn't great um it has now been shut down as well um but they didn't treat my diabetes you know they refused to give me my insulin i became very ill where i was uh, very close to dying and i got admitted to uh, well i was in 
the intensive care at Sheffield Northern General Hospital. The staff were great. And I remember that they refused, they came to my bed and they refused to call an ambulance because of how bad it would look for them. And I was sitting there like anyone that's diabetic that might be listening to this and has been in DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, it's so painful. You feel awful, you're hurting everywhere. Uh, your blood basically turns acidic. So it's eating away at all your organs and you're shutting down. The pain is horrible. For two days, I was in this state and it gets worse and my pH levels were rising and I was very close to dying and they refused to call an ambulance or take me to hospital because of how it would seem for them. They'd know that they that they'd, they'd failed. Um, and then when they did, they took me to the uh, children's hospital, which I was 17. And uh, they said they couldn't take me because I wasn't a child. And I, I begged for help. It, like, I had two key workers from the uh, psych ward with me. And um, I was just begging. I fell on the floor. I was keeling over. I was throwing up basically acid. It was horrible. And then um, finally a doctor saw me, brought me in. I was hooked up to everything. And then ambulance whipped, like just whisked away to Northern General. And then um, I was there for a few weeks, went back and they did it again. No. <laughs> and then I was sent back and there was a consultant from, uh, from the hospital that refused, they put me under a section with my parents, helped. there was lots of communication, but you, we can't take you back there, it's dangerous. Um, and you know, my dad was on the phone. I remember sitting in the room and my dad going, do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's like, yes, I trust you. It was like, just trust me. We'll get you out of there and we'll get you sorted. And, um, it was a difficult conversation and I didn't know what was going to happen. And the hospital put me on a section so they couldn't take me anywhere. I went and got my stuff from the unit and then I was, uh, luckily my parents could drive me to Northampton General Hospital and I was put into Berrywood, which was, it was great. It was closer to home, um, made some lifelong friends in both units. Um, and there was, the staff were great. I'd had a few hallucinations and, you know, I, where I, I'd then kicked out at some staff and they'd always sit down and talk to me about that. I, I was never made to feel bad. I'm diagnosed with mixed personality disorder. Um, and my medications were wrong at the time as well. And okay. so it was, it was very, very difficult. Um, but to say it was scary would be an understatement, but to say it was, it, it was definitely a big life lesson. And I think that's the first time with therapy, I was in that headspace of what's this gonna do? What's writing my feelings on a bit of paper and then how do they all link in on a triangle? You know, what's, what's that gonna do? I really engaged with it. I did some psychotherapy, some EMDR, which is weird because someone's <laughs> basically not conscious and someone's just taken over and talking about everything. 
and it just made me want to engage in therapy and get better but it made me see from the other side the failings again in the system and people still not talking and how it became a safe space for many you know so many people didn't want to leave and when they did leave to go into the community you know i was promised community support to rehabilitate myself back into a place where i wasn't locked in didn't have that support and then i went back in again so that was a, a starting uh, the stepping point for me and um i think the more and more i thought back about those experiences uh, the more and more i talked there was a need to talk about it there's there were so many stigmas around psychiatric in it's just like care homes it was seen as tracy beaker it was a lovely place to go you know there's so much fun and it wasn't um so again just talk about raising awareness and trying to implement change was it, and still is a key thing for me and i did some stuff at the british medical association as well when we spoke about you know what can what can we do to change things and uh, did many surveys with young people and just really tried to put that across so um you know these things are still in action at the moment it's difficult to kind of talk to any government governing body because of the current situation but we've made change um unlike the care system when you were 21 you used to just get kicked out of care go and live independently um luckily i've still i've had the support of my family um as well uh despite you know relationships being strained and i've put them through a lot of stuff and they've seen a lot of stuff which is hard for them but we managed to get the legislation changed as well so instead of young people when they're 21 with basically just turn that and then you've got no support at all go and live on your own it's setting you up to fail so now the legislation changed and uh, it's now 25 and then independent living skills and we implemented workshops where for a week uh, children in care and care leavers learn how the basics just to survive in life and that's my next goal you know put some lessons in schools there needs to be independent living skills because mm -hmm. young people you, you leave home no matter who you are no matter if you're in care out of care you suddenly go you don't know how to control your bills you don't know you don't understand gas and electricity prices or what's the best deal you don't so i think it's key that the education system changes and the mental health is talked about there's education around stuff like autism um anxiety depression um but also everyone gets anxious and depressed but what is chronic what is the chemical imbalance causing chronic depression chronic anxiety um bipolar um, anything so it's more accepting that needs to start from a young age as well especially stuff like autism which is prevalent in so many young people it's a big big thing which start that awareness from a young age and i think so many people will be educated and aware that there'll be a lot more inclusion and acceptance for everyone i love that you've got legislation change because that's amazing and I, I love what you want to do as well because 
I've discussed this with so on on series one of the stress sessions. My my friend who's a, who's an assistant head teacher came on, and I was asking her about how how is mental health integrated into the education system, and she said it's slowly been introduced, but it's it, there's still a long way to go. And I I asked exactly what you've just said, which is why don't you learn the stuff that you need to know when you're an adult at school? And why do I need to know how to do a, a fine line drawing, but mm-hmm. I don't get taught about how to apply for a mortgage <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, it's, it just, I mean, I, and I even kind of like knew that as I was, growing up and at school why, why am I learning this stuff and I'm not learning stuff that my parents are doing on a day-to-day basis like what why am I not learning how to be an adult sort of thing so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I did ask those questions <laughs> I think yeah and I, I think in all honesty you know there's a lot of young people coming from care um you know, we're in a fortunate position where you do have a lot of support and getting your own place, you know, even though it's with the council, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a council house or a council flat, but you have more support to get your own independence. And for me, I think that wasn't a bad thing. I think I've been more prepared than a lot of people at that age were to go and live on their own because, yes, there was more that could have been done but you were taught in a very basic way how to fend for yourself especially when you've moved on to semi-independent living so basically a care home you've got staff there but you have to do your own washing you had to do your own cooking food shopping budget plans and they taught you all that so the step changes that then came in really good and then you got your own flat no one there but your support worker would come in every week and then you moved into your very own space. And um, that, for me, I think (laughs) you're in a very lucky position, although not a lucky position being in care itself, but actually to having better independence. There was more tools and support and more education around it than perhaps when you're not in the system Mm -hmm. especially now when it's going to be very difficult to get a council house any um flats or whatever um there is that added support but it's education is key um no why do you need to go and build a wooden clock like what's that going to teach me in life school is there to educate um people and to set them up for their life if you can't teach the basic skills of budgeting or even if it's sorting out your pipes and the washing machine or what happens if your electricity trips, uh, what can you do? Um, you know, that that's an education that will generally help people thrive into their own independence. But... Um, I think it's slowly getting there, mm. but very slowly. Um, but um, there, I'm, my goal is for the end of next year to hopefully have something set in stone and 
a response to it. So again, trying to make positive change and um, hopefully get a lot of people on board with that um, and see what, see where we can go and see what we can do. What coping mechanisms do you have that kind of you could recommend to people for, of, of what to do? I really like the uh, box breathing. Um, it's, you know, if you can slow down your breathing, your heart rate, um, get more oxygen to your brain, um, your body releases loads of chemicals and slowing down your heart rate itself just reduces a lot of anxiety and stress and helps you think a bit clearer but you're because you're focusing on you know in for four seconds out for four seconds and you just keep keep counting that so that's one of the things that i love doing um listening to music music's always been my savior um there's a genre for every mood if i'm angry i'll put something by green day on for example <laughs> love a bit of old school green day um and either in my headphones or sing it out loud, obviously, depending on what time it is. I don't want to wake our little one up. Um, <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that, or even just in getting engrossed in a Netflix documentary, I always put something relatable to how I'm feeling. So if I'm, if I'm feeling stressed and anxious, I'll put an uplifting movie on. Um, so <clears throat> that can make it, it just puts me in a different headspace. Um, if I'm feeling angry, you know, I love watching Taken. It's such a good film. Um, there's a lot of violence in it. And you get engrossed in it where it just, kind of, for me, just feels like I'm letting out my anger just by watching the film. Um, so there's a few things, but it's, again, writing stuff down, focusing on the good things in life, the good things in every day and having that as a visual tool looking at it and going do you know what yes things are tough at the moment but it's not all bad and um yeah, I, i'd say they're the two the three things four things even um that i'd say are really helpful obviously it it depends it varies depending on what people like you know i, I do like going for a walk um I do live in a village, so it's very remote. Luckily, got filled out the back. Um, so I do just like going and getting a bit of fresh air, looking up at the at the sky, hearing the birds, or looking up at the stars, stuff like that. The, the, it's just freeing the mind and clearing my mindset. Is there anything coming up for you? Like, what what messages would you give to people? So I, I just think that people, some, some, again, like my aim with this is just to get people speaking. If, if, even if they're not suffering from a mental health illness, it's just, it's just to get the awareness out there that there are a lot of people suffering with a mental illness and there is a lot of help needed. If you're living with somebody that's got a mental health problem or, or you need kind of a little bit of advice, then what I'm trying to do with these podcasts is touch on different aspects of different mental health problems, if that makes sense. So it's mm -hmm. just, it's just to get the awareness out there really. And I, so, so I wouldn't have done this had the pandemic not have happened. I'm, I'm a hundred percent certain that this 
this wouldn't be happening right now if I wouldn't have been stuck in this house. <laughs> because I felt like I need to do something. I need to do something that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was in a job that I wasn't particularly enjoying. And to do, to do this was a bit of an outlet for me because it's, it's something that I have personally, per, I personally know about because I've lived with it. Um, but I just feel like it's, it's so important now than what more than ever to kind of get the awareness out there because, because of the pandemic. So I just thought, yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of blessing in disguise really, that it's, this has all happened because I probably wouldn't be sitting there now speaking to you. So no, it's a great podcast and great idea. And thank you as well. You know, it's people like you really do help a lot of people. And um, especially when you can just put your headphones in and, listen to like-minded people you know it's a it's a life-saving tournament so uh, thank you it's been lovely speaking to you yeah and thank you for having me as well it's been lovely thanks mate i'll um yeah keep in touch and um, you too. i'll hopefully speak to you soon speak to you later have a good weekend yeah you too thanks joe okay thank you for having me bye, -bye. cheers Thanks so much to Joe for coming on the podcast. Do you know what? It's so amazing to be able to speak to such great people like Joe who are doing such great things within the mental health area. And I really hope to see his new version of 999 in the future. I say this every single week, but I'm no mental health specialist. Everything you hear on this podcast is purely the opinion and thoughts of me and my guests. So if you are suffering from mental illness, I've included some useful links and numbers in the podcast notes. Finally, please remember to share the stress sessions with your friends family or anyone who you think might enjoy listening and while you're at it i'd really appreciate you leaving me a review and giving me a rating apart from if you're on spotify because for some reason you can't rate or review i don't know why thanks for listening and catch up with you again next monday have a great week <laughs>